My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Say whatever you want about Ontario Premier Doug Ford. And believe me, people do. I challenge you to find somebody in this province that he's governed for the past four years that is totally neutral about his performance. Who? Ford? Doug Ford? Eh, no opinion. Not a phrase often heard in these parts, which is one of the many things that will make an election campaign that begins today in Canada's largest province so fascinating. What else makes it compelling and critical? Basically everything. It is Ontario's first election since 2018, its first pandemic election, and voters will either praise Ford for his level head and straightforward messaging during scary times, or they will punish him for repeating an approach that has often left the province's healthcare system on the brink of collapse. This campaign also comes at a critical time for affordability. Affordability of what? Well, a few things. Mostly everyday basics like groceries and gas, and, uh, Housing. So, not exactly insignificant issues there. There is also climate, of course. Transit, highways, healthcare, childcare. This is a province at a crossroads in many ways. So, what happens during this campaign will be telling. Will it be an election about the various paths that lead on from all those crossroads? Or, as it so often is when this name is on a ballot, Will it be another referendum on a Ford? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Richard Southern is the Queen's Park reporter for City News. He's been down at the legislature quite a bit over the past few months and is ready for the campaign. Hey, Richard. Jordan, it is good to be here. A long time Big story podcast listener. Good to be here with you. We're so happy to have you on the show. And it's always good uh, in this day and age to have people who are covering things on the ground uh, where they're happening. So maybe just start last few weeks. Everybody knows this campaign is coming. A lot of people have been waiting a long time for it. What's been the mood down at Queen's Park? What are you feeling down there? Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, it's a campaign that in some ways has kind of snuck up on us reporters at Queen's Park in that, Jordan, there's really been like only one story at Queen's Park for the past two years. It's been all COVID all the time. And that's really continued to have been the big story up until, you know, just lately. But, you know, here we are now today with the campaign officially getting underway. And I think there's a sense of uh, excitement among myself and my fellow reporters in that it's going to be a much closer campaign than the one we covered four years ago. So yeah, there's a buzz uh, at Queens Park right now. There's no question about it. And, you know, with the election getting underway today, we're going to be getting out of the park and uh, the, the party leaders are going to be getting on their buses and we're going to be following them around the province, Jordan. 
Before we get to this campaign, you briefly mentioned the 2018 campaign. How long ago does that feel? Do you remember the issues from that campaign and and what we talked about then and what kind of bearing, if any, it had on the next four years? I mean, it was an interesting campaign in that the conclusion was already, uh, you know, set in stone almost, right? I mean, we we knew that the liberals would be getting decimated. Right. Then Premier Kathleen Wynne famously said it herself a couple of weeks before the vote. She says, I know I'm not going to win. Who says that as an incumbent before the election? It was that obvious. And it was, you know, a rout um, by the PCs. Um, the government was elected with more than 70 seats. They hold just 68 now. And that's, a, you know, another thing we can get into, the fact that the Conservatives have lost a number of members. They still hold this big majority. So they won, and they have 68 right now. The NDP, uh, four years ago, Jordan, became the official opposition. They have 38 seats. The Liberals, yeah, they got decimated, uh, losing official party status. They have just seven seats right now. And uh, Mr. Mike Schreiner is the lone representative from the Green Party. Um, so that's what happened last election. This one, though, uh, the polls are pointing towards a much tighter race, Jordan. You don't have to get into critiques necessarily of his performance or his government's performance right now. This is about the upcoming election, but maybe just walk us through Doug Ford's approval rating over the last four years. Like he's been on a roller coaster. Yeah, he has. Uh, and, you know, the approval rating has certainly gone up and down based on how people f- were feeling uh, regarding the the COVID situation and the restrictions put in. Having said that, it's actually held more steady than you might think. Hmm. One of the latest uh, polls has uh, the premier with an approval rating of 43%, up 13% from where it was in January. It's pretty much his approval rating where it was when he got elected in June of 2018, okay. despite all of the the issues with COVID. If you look, it's interesting, the breakdown. I mean, support for the PC party right now, certainly higher among those living in rural Ontario. Uh, there's a, a significant gender gap. Uh, 46% of men say they plan on voting for the PC party. Just 28% of women say they will. Uh, Right now, if you take the amalgam, Jordan, of the last three polls that have come out, it has the PCs at 36%. The liberals coming way from behind at 31. The liberals poised to form the uh, official opposition and the NDP with 21%. Basically, if the election were held today, it's possible the PCs would win another majority, but a much smaller majority than what we uh, currently have. And we'll talk about vote splitting on the left. Clearly, uh, we need to talk about that in a minute. But first, as the progressive conservatives prep for this campaign, what do we know about how they're preparing to convince voters to give them another majority? What do we know about what they're going to run on specifically? Yeah, we have a good sense because um, Premier Ford and his party put out this big pre-election budget which is more of a campaign platform because they're not voting on this budget or they're not implementing it. Right. But it laid out uh, a $198 billion spending plan. And it hit on, I think, the two key themes that not only the conservatives, but the other parties are basically uh, basing their, their platform around. And that is, first of all, building infrastructure, building more hospital long-term care, building transit, that sort of thing. And most importantly, affordability. This has ranked as like one of the big issues right now. I mean, we you go to the grocery store, you know what's going on mm-hmm. with inflation. Everything is costing more. And so these parties want to sort of tap into that. So, you know, on the affordability front, you know, Premier Ford has pledged to 
cut taxes for those making under 50,000. He's done away with the license plate renewal stickers, uh, which, you know, has, had, that has resulted in checks going out to to voters just weeks ahead of this election with people getting, you know, between 80 and $200 back. Um, he's also, of course, the premier promised to cut the price of gas by 5.7 cents a liter uh, come July. So touching on the big affordability issues there on the infrastructure, uh, the budget laid out $158 billion to build highways and to build more hospital beds. Of course, the premier basing a lot of his campaign around Highway 413. This is the proposed 60 kilometer highway uh, to connect Milton to Vaughn. He also wants to build a 16-kilometer so-called Brantford Bypass, which would link Highways 400 to Highways 404. So that's kind of what he's basing the election around, infrastructure, affordability. I'm not here to say whether or not that's good or bad, but I will note the extreme focus on basically giving people money, helping with the bills. It's clear that they view that as the path to victory, yeah? Yeah, and, you know, to be fair, they're not the only government that has offered rebates like that ahead of the election. That's something we've seen before from other parties. But, um, you know, I, I don't think it was uh, a, a coincidence that the checks were in the mail to voters just weeks before the vote. I don't think that was a coincidence. Let's talk briefly about the NDP. As you mentioned, they currently are or were, I guess, before the legislature was dissolved, the official opposition but then you also mentioned they now trail the liberals uh, for second place in the polls. So have they positioned themselves as a clear alternative to Ford over the past four years? I mean, those numbers would suggest probably not. Correct. I mean, the polls would suggest no. I mean, it certainly there's been some questions about uh, the effectiveness uh, of the NDP's opposition. Uh, I, you know, I have no opinion on that myself one way or another. But again, the polls show the NDP set to lose that official opposition status. Um, they put out their platform, Andrea Horvath and the NDP. Uh, it hasn't been fully costed yet. They, they, they touch on the affordability issues as well. The NDP are promising to uh, institute a more prescription drug coverage for Ontarians. They're planning to hire, they say, 30,000 nurses uh, they say they want to hold, if elected, an independent inquiry into COVID-19. They want to expand sick days. And uh, they want to build 100,000 social housing units. They're touching on the big concerns around uh, housing. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the NDP this time around. Because this is Andrea Horvath's fourth election as leader. And she, you know, she brought the NDP back to the official opposition for the first time in 20 some years in the last election. So she arguably did well the last election. But you have to think that this could be her last uh, election as leader uh, if the party doesn't build on that result from four years ago, Jordan. And the liberals now, you know, you mentioned last election led by Kathleen Wynne. She admitted as you pointed out, that she was going to lose. I think she also admitted that the anger towards her personally, whether you agree with it or not, cost the Liberals a whole bunch of seats. Stephen Del Duca is the Liberal leader now. Um, look, for those just tuning in, I mean, he doesn't have much of a profile. Who is he? What do we know about his approach? Yeah, I mean, that might be one of the big issues he's facing is a lot of people don't know exactly who Stephen Del Duca is. And some of the early campaign ads that uh, his party has put out sort of sent around introducing uh, Del Duca to the voters. Uh, he's 48 years old. Uh, he uh, went to law school in Toronto, never was called to the bar. He worked for uh, Carpenters Union, but had always been been active in the Liberal Party since he was 15, since 1988. He's sort of been active in the, in the party. Uh, he got elected as an MPP in 2012 
and he served in Kathleen Wynne's cabinet. He was the Minister of Transportation and later the Minister of Economic Development. And he was among the many liberals who lost their seats in that 2018 election four years ago. Yes, it's been interesting how they've, they're they trying to introduce him to uh, the electorate, Jordan. I mean, we've seen a, a, a touching uh, ad come out where he talks about uh, losing his brother a number of years ago uh, in a car accident. And uh, he also brings his his two daughters in and another camp, another ad campaign. They're you know, trying to humanize him. Um, he, too, is tapping into this affordability concern. I mean, he's kind of had some of the more interesting campaign promises here in the last couple of days. Mr. Del Duca has promised to slash the the transit fares across Ontario to just a dollar. So he says, hey, if, if I get elected and you're, you're taking the TTC to work, it's just going to cost you a dollar. And the monthly passes, he said he would reduce to $40. This would be for two years. He didn't say how uh, he would pay for it. He also, in the last week or two, has promised to remove the HST from some of the prepared foods that you buy under $20. So, you know, you buy one of those roasted chickens from the grocery store. That'll be a little bit cheaper under the uh, liberal plan. So he's trying to, you know, go after that big inflation issue at the grocery store. He is also promising a $16 minimum wage up a buck from where it stands now and a portable benefits package for workers as well. Uh, just yesterday, the liberal leader was out talking about his environment platform. He wants to cut emissions in half by 2030, looking to expand the green belt by 30%. And he's also promising Jordan to test out a four-day work week in Ontario. So a lot of tidbits here to try and attract those voters. And even if they don't know a lot about who Stephen Del Duca is, I think the party is hoping they'll latch on to a number of these promises made by the liberals here. Listen, a four-day work week is a heck of a promise to throw out there. <laughs> Sign us up for the four-day work week. It'll be interesting to see how that works. He's, he's, he's uh, talked about trying to uh, test that out among government workers. Not a lot of details on it yet, but that'll be interesting to see. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. I think it's great that there are different approaches that we can examine as we go through this campaign. I also want to ask you about the leaders, because this is fascinating to me. You mentioned Andrea Horvath, uh, fourth kick at the can. Uh, it's pretty unusual for the leader of a party that has not won an election. Stephen Del Duca, as you mentioned, again, a problem introducing himself to voters. And then there's Doug Ford, who, you know, love him or hate him, is a huge towering public figure in Ontario. And, you know, as somebody who's done an entire podcast about the Ford family, like there's no escaping the pull of that personality, uh, whether it's people praising or criticizing him. How do you get these three leaders and and not to slight uh, leader of the Green Party, but but how big a role could the sheer personality or lack of of these leaders play in this race? I think for Premier Ford, this is a lot of this is this is everything in many ways, right? I mean, people see 
many people see someone they they like and they trust with Premier Ford, despite all the negative things you've seen out there about the Premier over the past four years. I mean, he's a 57-year-old gentleman, and he has run as a fiscal – this is what's really interesting to me. I mean, he's he ran certainly as a fiscal conservative, but he spent big. Even before COVID hit, uh, his government tabled the biggest spending budgets in Ontario history, way bigger than what Kathleen Wynne – did So I think in that way, the premier has been many things to many people. They have spent a lot of money, and I think that has certainly helped out his prospects. I think if you, if you meet the premier one-on-one, he's a likable guy. I don't know that that's necessarily the case with the other leaders. I mean, certainly, as you say, the fact that we don't know Mr. Del Duca well certainly doesn't help him in that regard. But Premier Ford has a, a lot going for him with his straightforward delivery that we saw during COVID. And I think that's that certainly could help him as he heads to the, the campaign. It always fascinates me to talk about uh, Doug Ford or any Ford for that matter, because depending on the company that you're in, um, he can be a hero or just uh, a total bleep. And, you know, nobody has a neutral opinion. And that's going to be fascinating to watch play out uh, over a lengthy campaign. Yes, and it's interesting because, you know, the premier, he doesn't always have a polished delivery at the microphone, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, we sure. want to hear the the honest opinion from our politicians. At the same time, that can also and has led to the premier putting his foot in his mouth sometimes. Everything is magnified on the campaign trail, and so it's going to be interesting to see how the premier campaigns now, uh, particularly as an incumbent, and to what degree there are any missteps, not only by his, uh, by Miss Horvath and Miss Del Duca, but to 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 what degree the premier uh, stumbles because he's not a a polished politician. Do we have any sense? Just uh, switching tracks for a moment. Do we have any sense of the role that the Ford government's handling of the pandemic will play on the campaign trail? I mean, when we talked about his approval ratings fluctuating, I think it's fair to say, uh, as you mentioned, they pretty much fluctuate in line with how bad the pandemic is in Ontario. I know we're going through a bit of a wave right now. It's been a big driver of swings in the past, but are voters looking forwards or backwards? And, you know, how much will the rate of hospitalization as we creep into June be a factor in which way people vote? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think there's still a lot unknown there. I mean, we know that, you know, COVID can can throw us a curveball and it certainly could throw us a, a curveball during the campaign. But I think generally speaking, voters are, are looking forward. I, certainly that's the picture the premier has wanted to paint. I mean, I don't think it's... Um, it's a coincidence that, you know, the mask mandates, um, most of them ended just in time for the campaign to start. We still yep. have the mask mandates in place for hospitals and for transit. But, you know, most of the restrictions have ended just in time for the election. The premier And was, a lot of critics of the government have put that two and two together and done so pretty publicly. Yeah. And so, I mean, that might help the premier out in that he's trying to say, hey, this is, you know, we're trying to come in, we're coming out of this. I, I don't think um, COVID has been very kind to incumbent politicians. I mean, we certainly saw... The prime minister, although he got reelected, he 
you know, he lost some seats. And so it's 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 been a, a tough one for incumbent politicians. But I think the premier has tried to paint this picture that, hey, we're coming out of this. We're moving forward. Uh, you know, if you look at the top concerns for voters, COVID is not number one. Like I say, it's affordability is kind mm. of the big issue. Certainly on Election Day, Jordan, when you go to the polls on June 2nd, you're going to be reminded of COVID. Um, Elections Ontario says there's going to be floor signage for, for physical distancing. There's going to be plexiglass glass screens again, right. the hand sanitizers. Masks won't be mandatory but they will be available there for voters. So you're certainly going to be reminded about this when you go to the polls. Let's talk about geography now. You mentioned Ford and the PCs are loved in the rural districts. I know uh, the deep urban districts down in downtown Toronto are pretty much all NDP or liberal. So tell me about the battlegrounds and the suburbs and beyond. Like, what do those look like right now? Yeah, I mean, it's same old, same old when you talk about battlegrounds and with elections in Canada. And it's, it's the 905. It is Peel region, I think, that is going to be where you're going to want to watch. I mean, there are many Mississauga ridings that have been liberal strongholds uh, for a long time, but flipped to the PCs in 2018. Hmm. So if the liberals are going to make the type of inroads that they need to make and that the polls are showing they may make, they're going to have to win back some of those Mississauga seats. You mentioned the NDP uh, did very well in downtown Toronto. Uh, the Liberals will look to win back some of those seats. But the 905 is where it's going to be won or lost. And that's that's why I think you've seen the Premier focus on these highways, right? The 413, the Brantford Bypass, right. appealing to these 905 voters who primarily drive. I mean, Stephen Del Duca promising to cut the, the cost to transit. You're not going to hear that, I think, from the Premier because his electorate, the voters he needs, they're drivers. And that's who he's going after. Right now, as you pointed out, uh, the Liberals in second, the NDP in third, collectively, certainly more of the popular vote than the progressive conservatives. Has there been any discussion uh, publicly or anything you might know privately about cooperation between the NDP and the Liberals, uh, similar to the supply and confidence deal that we saw on the federal side earlier this year? So to me, Jordan, this this is the most exciting, in- intriguing part of this election. Oh, I'm so glad I left it till last then. <laughs> This is very much in play, okay? Um, Right now, we got the PCs with about 36% support, enough to win a majority by a hair. It's going to be close. This could be a minority PC victory. That's very, very much on the table. Hmm. The Liberals and the NDP, they've already said, we're not going to support a minority government. What happens then is still a question mark. But certainly, Andrea Horvath has indicated that she's open to some sort of joining co I don't know if you want to use the word coalition it's possible though that the liberals and the NDP join forces to some extent here that is very much on the table so I mean that's that's the most uh, intriguing outcome I think for Ontarians is that we do see a, a PC minority because that could go in all sorts of different directions and um I don't I mean it's I don't know that can the premier work with uh Andrea Horvath can he work with Stephen Del Duca. These are uh, individuals with whom he's butted heads with in a big way over the past four years. So that's the thing to watch over the next 28 days, I think, Jordan. What about in the near term? And this is my last question. You know, the you mentioned the leaders are getting out of Queen's Park. You're probably getting out of Queen's Park as you start out on the campaign trail. What's the thing that you'll be paying the closest attention to that you think might give us a sense of what direction this campaign is headed? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the reception that the leaders get uh, from Ontarians. I mean, 
There hasn't been a lot of public events up until recently because of COVID. It will be interesting to see what type of response they get. It will be interesting to see the rest of the campaign platforms. You know, that's kind of the unfortunate thing now is that a lot of these parties, they do a drip, drip release up until Election Day. Right. It'll be interesting to see how the how the leaders handle themselves on the a campaign trail. I mean, there's a lot at stake here for all of these leaders, right? If, you know, will Doug Ford stay on if he's not uh, the victor on June 2nd? That's a question. That's certainly a, a legitimate question. Andrea Horvath, this could very much be her last election if she doesn't do better than she did four years ago. Same could be said about Stephen Del Duca. I mean, he has these ties to uh, Kathleen Wynne that may hurt him on June 2nd. And perhaps his party will say, well, that's one and done for you. So there's a lot at stake for all three of these individuals. And that's going to be the interesting thing to watch as they climb aboard their campaign buses, as they've started to do today, Jordan, the Ford government, uh, the Ford PC uh, government calling the uh, their bus the Yes Express. They're saying they're yes to building, yes to oh boy, uh, helping out Ontarians with affordability. So, boy, it's going to be interesting because there's a lot at stake for all of these guys. Has any party ever ran as the party of no? <laughs> it's true. Who says, I'm going to say no to this, no to that? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's an easy thing to say yes. All right. Well, we'll see what happens and we'll catch up with you uh, during the campaign, Richard. Thanks so much. Look forward to it. Thanks, Jordan. Appreciate it. Richard Southern is a Queen's Park reporter at City News. If you are a new listener to The Big Story, you may not know that we've also done a complete narrative podcast about Rob Ford's time at City Hall in Toronto, complete with a ton of cameos, obviously, from his brother, Doug Ford, who is now the premier. If you missed that and you want to dive back into those times, you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. It's called The Gravy Train. If you want more big stories, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. You can email us. The address is hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And best of all, you can call us and leave a voicemail. No crank calls. I'm not Mo. You're not Bart. The phone number is 416-935-5935. We are looking for ideas for our thousandth episode, questions you might have anything for me or the Big Story team. And of course, we are looking for you to say nice things that we can compile into a little montage that I will play for myself when I'm all alone and sad. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now.